This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Now listen, I, everywhere I look these days, I see ghosts. Not real ones, I see the ones that people hang on their doors and, and those kinds. The Bible condemns those who seek contact with the spirits of the dead in Deuteronomy 18 and 2 Chronicles chapter 33 tells us that it's not only displeasing to God, it's an abomination to Him. And many people have opened themselves to demonic involvement, harassment, even demon possession in that way, but, so we don't do that. So while most of the Halloween decor around us is for fun, there is a real danger out there of the dark world of Satan. Probably the biggest danger is that we would trivialize the reality of Satan and maybe even worse, celebrate it. The Bible tells us to reject every kind of evil. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we learned that on our Wednesday night not too long ago. So we utilize the day of Halloween the 31st of December, we utilize that day to reach out to the neighborhood. Very seldom do the people of the neighborhood come to the church. But on December, or December, on October 31st, there's a guy with, there's a guy with vision right there. <laughs> on October 31st, uh, they come right to our door. And so uh, while you may be busy at home doing something, I, I encourage you to maybe put off your you know, it's a, it's a great risk that we come here to do ministry on the 31st. Uh, they might soap my windows or egg my... I leave, I leave food, food out, but I leave candy out for them so that we can come over here and reach out to the ones that are coming into the doors of the church here. And it's an opportunity. So I encourage you to maybe take an opportunity to do that and uh, come watch and see God do the scariest thing of all change lives it's powerful and if you're you say well I'm a, an adult and I don't really get scared about much you get about 50 kids screaming in the in the room that you're in you're not scared you're just stupid that's all <laughs> nevertheless I do have a ghost story for you so if you have your Bible turn with me to Acts chapter 8 and tell you story, a ghost story. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he 
proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. And they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, proclaiming the gospel in many Samaritan villages. It was revival in Samaria. I mean, sure, on full-blown, total, Holy Ghost revival, and that's what makes this a ghost story. It's a story about the Holy Ghost. And so it was just revival. Philip went in and preached, and as he preached, people began to believe. And even though the place was a dark place, even though there was, was people who were given over to even worshiping this man, Simon, who walked among them, there, was, there were people who heard and believed, and they were baptized. Many were coming to faith and being redeemed and transformed, set free from their empty lives and from their sins and from their purposelessness. They were, they were being delivered from all that they had been, and, they, and God was opening a brand new door for them. They were given salvation, which is full and free in Jesus. And so they preached Jesus, and as they preached Jesus, then they just began to receive this new thing that God was doing in the midst of them. We call revival a stirring of the life in the church when church begins to feel a new stirring of revival. Did you feel it this morning? I think I felt it a little bit this morning. There's a stirring, a new life in the, in the body of Christ as we begin to stir our spirits up and we revive in the presence of the Lord. New life begins to flow through us and that which was dead gets cut off or pruned and that which is dead now suddenly finds new life and there's new opportunity for fruit, you see, because when you cut off a dead branch, that gives new life to the branches that are yet still alive and in those branches, fruit can be born. Come on, somebody claim that for your own life today. Cut off the dead things so that the new life can flow through you. The saints get a new life. And suddenly, the lost are being reached and Samaria is being turned around. I love this part of the scripture where it says that there was great joy in the city. You see, that's what revival is all about. It restores joy. I mean, I don't know. I think the scariest thing about Halloween is it's one week before election day. That's a really the... It's like, it's like telling you, hey, one week and we got to vote for some of these clowns, you know? I mean, so, so that's, that's one of the scariest things. And, and I think what, what, what revival does, it gives us a new joy. It re, re, lets us recognize that life flows from God. 
that what's meaningful is eternal. It comes in. The things that you're going to be thinking about on your deathbed, the presence of God, your family gathered around you, the people that you know and love, that all is birthed out of the Spirit. You won't ever think, remember back in 95 who I voted for Congress? You won't care. You should vote. I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. But I'm just saying, when we recognize what revival is, it's a stirring of the inside of us. And and irrespective of what people in the world may think, revival in a town actually restores joy. It puts peace in the hearts where violence lives. It it puts love in the hearts where hate once lived. It restores us more closely into the image of God. None of us are perfect, but it moves us closer into the image of God. And, I mean, if you just read... If you just read the Sermon on the Mount, two, two thoughts occur to me whenever I read the Sermon on the Mount is, man, I can't get myself to, to embrace the fullness of all that, that Jesus is teaching there. But the other thing I think about is, what kind of a world would it be if everyone loved one another in the way that Jesus taught us to love? If everyone forgave, if everyone just laid down offenses, if we were really forbearing, if we were really nice to each other. Look at your neighbor and say, nice to each other. What if we were just that people that Jesus called us to be? What a world. Don't you think joy would be restored to the world that we live in? Every year they do one of those surveys to talk about the happiest city. The happiest city, and they, they have measurements of this or that, or the cost of food in the city and everything. You know what makes it happy is when there's just a lack of violence and a total peace between people and brothers and sisters. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that he should call us the sons of God. When men and women begin to live like children of God and treat one another with respect and dignity and don't judge one another and learn to forgive one another. Oh, don't get me preaching this morning. And when they learn to live like that, the city's glad. The city's glad. They were happily blessed with a joy-filled city. All the dangerous neighborhoods in Samaria were suddenly being cleaned up. Hearts that were once filled with bigotry and hate that had been the recipients of prejudice because the Samaritans were judged seriously by the Jews. All those hearts now were filled with the love of Christ. God's hope began to fill their formerly hopeless lives, and now suddenly they have a fresh new life. And they lacked something. It was a novel moment, a unique moment in the history of mankind. The gospel was moving from being just a belief system amongst the, Gen- amongst the Jews to moving into the Gentiles. In fact, It so freaked out the the Jewish believers that Messiah would be able to reach into Gentile communities, even though Jesus had prophesied it in chapter 1. It so freaked them out that they had to go down. Peter and John had to go down and see what's cooking in Samaria. I was going to name the sermon, What's Cooking in Samaria. (laughs) They had to go down and see it. The gospel was going into the lives of these Gentiles. Scripture says they believed. That's what you have to do to be saved, right? It says they were baptized in water, as Jesus commanded, as Peter talked about in uh, Acts chapter 2. That's what you have to do to be saved. 
believe and be baptized and you're saved, right? It's amazing. It's so simple. And faith is rising in their hearts and they're being taught and they're responding in faith to everything that's happening in their life. But when the, the apostles come down, they immediately recognize a deficit. They immediately recognize there's something missing. Now, we look at the first part of this chapter and we say, man, would to God that revival would happen in Berwyn, Illinois, and that the city was joyful. Right? Would to God that, the, that, the, that, the, that God's move would, would, would move out from here and would make people's lives better and happier and they would be more filled with God and they would be more impassioned to live pure lives and to live a life that honors God. But they recognize there was something missing. And so they immediately begin to do ministry there. It says, when they arrived, verse 13, or 15, when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. Of course, if they were saved, there had to be a Holy, the Holy Spirit had to have been there in small form on the inside, the same way the Holy Spirit comes into our lives when we first get saved, right? I remember I expected, you know, I was, when I became to the Lord, I expected that I would look completely different on the outside because I felt completely different on the inside. You remember that day when you got, got saved and you felt like, man, surely this cleared up my acne. You know, I mean, like, you, you thought for sure I am no longer as hideously ugly as I used to be. Now I am so, suddenly good looking because I, I have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. You knew that you had the Holy Spirit of God had come in and cleaned up the inside, but there was no telltale evidence on the outside of you. Your torn jeans were still torn jeans. Back then they weren't trendy. Now they're trendy. But your torn jeans were just torn jeans. Your old shirt that you got saved in is still your old shirt. Immediately, these fellows begin to lay hands on these folks. It says that the laying out of hands and the prayer of faith fills them with the Holy Spirit. And they receive the Holy Spirit. What, uh, what Luke is telling us here is that there was a visible manifestation, so, so great really in, in, in effect, that it, there was an outward effect that this outward thing happened. They, they could see something was different with the disciples whom the apostles laid hands on. We need, as believers, to be immersed in the power of the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When when Luke records that the Holy Spirit hadn't come upon them, he's not speaking of salvation. Clearly, they, they were saved. He's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit that had been demonstrated in the previous chapters all through, through the book of Acts. In Acts 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4, when the place was shaken. In Acts 5, when the Holy Spirit struck down uh, Ananias and Sapphira. The, the, the Holy Spirit was on the inside. In fact, this is so important that, that in Romans... Paul talks about the life of the Holy Spirit. We kind of dabbled a little bit in there over communion. Romans chapter 8 talks about living in the Spirit. And Paul, Paul says, those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. In other words, it's not enough for us to make a verbal commitment on the outside, even to follow the Lord in baptism 
without having a faith and belief that God is going to fully do something on the inside of our life, without that faith, it's just outward circumstance. But when we truly follow after the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and it's our job to try to be filled with the Spirit. It's to, to seek in, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul again says, listen, you... You've got to be filled with the Spirit. When the times are dark, you've got to be filled with the Spirit. When the days are evil, you've got to be filled with the Spirit. When time is short, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit, he says. You have to live your life in a way that is Spirit-filled. So much so that God's Holy Spirit becomes something crucial for us. Paul is... Always asking disciples, it seems, yeah, I realize you're following the Lord, but have you received the Spirit? In in, uh, Acts chapter 19, he runs into a group of disciples, followers of Jesus. I think it's verse uh, 2 that he says to them, "Um, since you believed, have you been, have you received the Holy Spirit? Since you believed, have you received the Holy Spirit? In other words, there's, there's this second aspect of, of living. It's not just enough for me to have believed and, and, and accepted Jesus, but have I received the Spirit that God wants to put in my life? It's the challenge that He issued to these disciples. These disciples in Acts 19, they said, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Well, that's, that's some pretty short teaching on the gospel that they have received, right? Yet the Bible calls them disciples, so we know that they were believers. So we recognize this. So it was when Paul sees the deficit in their life, and he immediately tries to correct the deficit in their life, saying, you, what you need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to have your life immersed in the presence of the Holy Spirit, to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus was talking about. Clearly, the apostles believed that the Holy Spirit was more than just an option that the Holy Spirit is not just power windows on our vehicle of our faith. The Holy Spirit is the reality of our faith. He is everything for us. Simon then, this guy Simon we're introduced to here in verse 18. He sees that the Spirit is given at the laying on of hands. And immediately he recognized, I don't know what he saw, probably he saw them speak in tongues or saw some manifestation on their life that demonstrated the power of the Spirit. And so because of that, when he saw the Holy Spirit, thank you, dear, when he saw the Holy Spirit move on their lives, immediately he said, hey, I want that power. I'll give you money for that. And so we have a, we have a name for that sin. It's called, it has his name, Simony. Simony is the, the sin of trying to put money down, trying to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. So, um, but I think that that's not really the sin here. The real sin isn't just that he was so carnal that he thought he could buy the power of the Holy Spirit so he could transfer the Holy Spirit. was that he thought he was going to be a big shot. Right? Remember that song, Mr. Big Shot? Who do you think you are, Mr. Big Shot? 
He wanted to be the big shot who laid hands on people and they got filled with the Holy Spirit because he saw that that was going to benefit their life, that there was power coming into the lives of every individual who were having hands laid on them. Sometimes we believers, we want to be immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit, but we want it for the wrong reason. We want spirit baptism so that we can be entertained by more cool things and Jesus can do tricks for us. Buy a dog if that's what you want. Dogs will do tricks. Sometimes we believers want to be entertained through the miracles and the signs and the wonders. I confess to you that one time I went to a miracle service in Hammond, Indiana. And I sat in the balcony. There was no seats on the first floor. I tell the story all the time. And I was on, there was no, no seats on the first floor, so I had to sit in the balcony. And it was in like a stadium where somebody played. I don't know who, what team was playing in Hammond at the time. But, uh, so uh, I, I, I happened to love popcorn. And they were popping popcorn out in the hallway out there. And, you know, you could smell it. And I was on the second floor, so I was like one floor removed from where the action was happening. They were laying hands on the sick, and people were getting touched and blessed and stuff. And I went out and bought myself a bag of popcorn. And I came back in and sat in that first row of the, sea, of the, of the, uh, the balcony, and I'm eating popcorn, you know, just watching what's going on, listening attentively to the message and just eating popcorn. And suddenly it just re I just realized that this doesn't feel right, you know. Like this is not a spectator sport. I should not be eating popcorn. It always has bothered me that I, I now popcorn's whole wheat, so praise the Lord for that. But, uh, but, but I don't think that was really me being clean before the Lord. I, had, I was not paying attention to the presence of the Lord. I was not honoring the body of the Lord in that moment. I lost the majesty. Sometimes that happens in a big place. You can lose the majesty of what God is doing in the middle of, of, of so, you know, when you're, when you're out of the loop, when you're standing way back and you're like looking and seeing what's going on, it's, it's, oh, it's happening to someone else, but it's not really happening to you. Listen, if you're in church and it's happening to everyone else, you need to jump in. The water's good. And God is not a respecter of persons. So if you're not getting any on you, it's because you're not standing close enough to the splash. So you got to get in a little bit closer. you got to draw in a little bit deeper. Oh, that's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. Oh, I love that. That was good. I really like that. So sometimes we forget that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power. That power is to help you overcome sin. That power is to help you in the realm of the miraculous. That power is to give you a fresher and a deeper connection with God. The Scripture says in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 26, that that, that power, that, that Holy Spirit speaks in groanings and utterings that you can't understand, but God Himself understands those things. Instead of God changing the world, which is often our prayer, oh God, change the world. God says, I'm going to change the inside of you, so that you can go out and become a world changer. How does He do it? He does it by the presence of His Holy Spirit. He immerses your life into the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever seen a water baptism here at Christian Life Center. We just did one a week or so ago. But when, when, it go, when people go in, stuff, even though they've, they're dressed 
specifically for being dunking, for being dunked. Amen? And, uh, and I think this is part and partial with being dunked. When being, you're being baptized, stuff comes off of you. I, you know, I have a guilty pleasure. Ben knows about this. I, I stop, usually when I'm driving down the farm, stop in Effingham, stop at a gas station. They're the cheapest gases in Illinois, and I buy my gas there. And I go in, and there's a Dunkin' Donuts there, and I buy a, a donut, an old-fashioned donut, and a cup of coffee. And I used to dunk the donut in the coffee. That's called Dunkin' Donuts, right? <laughs> right? Isn't that what it's called? Come on. Joyce, are you getting blessed back there? I saw you waving your hand. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It's called Dunkin' Donut. I used to dunk the donut, but sometimes you dunk the donut, and then some of the donut goes back down there in the coffee. Right? And you don't get to eat that till after you finish the coffee. That last little, you've got to shake it around a little bit, swirl it. Right? So I quit doing that. But, but, that, but just like a donut, when you baptize someone, stuff that's on them falls off comes off. Stuff that's in there. Their toe jam comes off in the water. Lint from... It, yeah, once it's dipped, it's holy toe jam. Yeah. There, there's some of your hair is left in there. I mean, it's... Frankly, it's disgusting. But you're a new creature. We won't do a baptism for a while because I need this to wear up. But... You know, you leave some of you in there. And in the spirit, you leave some of you in there too. You live that, that old habit and that old life and that old stuff that's in the water. It stays in the water. So when we're talking about baptism in the spirit, we should understand too that some of the crumbs on the outside of your life are going to fall off when you're baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you were leaning on the power of your flesh, and now you're supposed to be leaning on the power of your spirit. You were trying to figure out how you could do it in the natural, but now you've been baptized in the spirit, and you're immersed in that, and the Holy Spirit is on you, and suddenly God has given you crazier ideas than even the craziest ones you had before you were baptized in the spirit. And you were once hiding in fear, and now suddenly you're as bold as a lion wherever you go. A Holy Spirit working on the inside of you. It's no wonder that Paul would say in Ephesians 5 that you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to bring your... When you can't cope, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When life is short, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When things are tough, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When life is pressure and it's squeezing you in, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that spirit helps us to overcome sin and connect deeper to God in prayer. It puts the miraculous within our grasp. Not that we could ever lay claim to that, but that God is able to work through us. And I asked myself as I was preparing this sermon, I got down to this third point. What's your point? Because the last thing this church needs is another sermon. The last thing a powerless church needs is another sermon. We need the power of God on our lives. So I'm asking you this morning, since you believed, have you received the Holy Spirit on your life? I'm asking you, have you received, not just the little devil, do you, Holy Spirit that brings salvation? I mean, have you been baptized into the Holy Spirit that's revolutionized your worldview and changed everything about you? Are you living your life filled with the Holy Spirit today? Are you motivated, motivated 
to be a better witness for God? Have you presented yourself to God? Have you had someone lay hands on you and say, be baptized in the name of Jesus into the power of the Holy Spirit? Because I really think that's really how it has to be done. See, I'm talking to two different kinds of people in the service. There's those who are seeking to be refilled or seeking to be filled for the very first time. And there's those which used to be filled with the Spirit, but the fire's cooled a little bit, and the coals no longer glow red hot. And maybe you need a fresh new outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a rekindling of the refilling of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, you've hit it pretty well. Only you know where you stand. So I'm asking you this morning. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit and ready to minister for God? Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.